So, big idea for the day, nothing good happens after dark. Now you say, like, that, that's a pretty bold statement, Tim, but here's how I know that. I know it from experience. I know it from fifth grade when my buddy Matt coerced me into go egg somebody's house in his neighborhood. I know that from middle school when my other uh, buddy Andrew convinced me to throw snowballs at cars as they were driving through the snowstorm. I know that because of the time in high school uh, when some friends and I uh, stole pumpkins off of people's front porches till we had, you know, probably 50 of them and laid them out in the middle of the road to watch the cars barrel through these pumpkins. I know that because of the time that uh, my friends and I did a senior prank and, and covered the breezeway at Delaney High School with cow manure and rotten eggs. I know that because of the time in college when my friends and I were looking to put up a Christmas tree in our dorm and I hopped the fence of the, fence of the construction site and borrowed a cinder block to use as a Christmas tree stand. Nothing good happens after dark. And those are only the stories that I could talk about in church. Um, and, and only some of them, the police were involved, but the police were involved in some of them. But eventually my hard head learns two things that one, I needed to choose better friends and two, that nothing good happens after dark. You want to know why you want to know why nothing good happens after dark. You want to know why none of these stupid stunts that I did when I was a teenager and young adult happened during the day. It's because people do stupid, harmful, dangerous things in the dark because there's an allure of secrecy, right? There's this sense of, of which you can hide. No one will see me. You can hide your indiscretions in the dark. And so the dark becomes prime breeding ground for sinful habits, for dangerous for wrong behavior. And so the Word of God tells us quite explicitly, don't live in the dark. And of course it's a metaphor, right? But there's some truth behind it in the physical world. See, the Scriptures say that as followers of Jesus, we have the light of God. We belong to the day. So we are called not to live in the dark, but to live as children of the day. To live as children of the day. That's the call we're going to hear today in 1 Thessalonians 5 as we continue our series, Faith in the Gospel. Paul's going to continue the theme that we heard last week at the end of chapter 4, now beginning into chapter 5, page 987, Thessalonians 5, if you're using one of those blue hardback Bibles. Now we saw last week in chapter 4 that at the end of the age, the Lord Jesus is going to descend from heaven. There's going to be a loud shout. He's going to call His followers. And both living and dead are going to rise up in resurrected bodies and meet Jesus. And we saw that the coming of the Lord, our future resurrection, is meant to comfort us, to give us hope. Now in chapter 5, this theme continues with this phrase, the day of the Lord. How scriptures often refer to the end of time, the coming of Christ. It's a a phrase, if you're familiar with the Old Testament prophets, you hear again and again, the day of the Lord, or the last days, or simply that day. It's a time where the Old Testament prophets anticipated judgment on those from the nations who oppose God's reign. A time where God would come and overthrow all of His enemies and the presence of evil from the earth. A time when God would reign in victory, when the outpouring of His blessing would cover His people, the day of the Lord. And we see now in the New Testament that the day of the Lord is the return of Christ. And it's not something for Christians to be confused about. This is not something we should be divided over, not something that we should be uninterested in. It's an incredibly practical doctrine. The last day. 
The return of Christ is incredibly practical. It should inform and drive the way that we live. In fact, anticipating the day of the Lord should drive us not to live in the darkness, but as we'll read this morning, to live in the light as children of the day. Does that make sense? Let's read together. 1 Thessalonians 5. Let me pray again. Father in heaven, bless the reading of your word. Fill our hearts and our minds as we unpack, as we study, as we apply your scripture, your word, what is often a, an abstract topic, what is often a source of confusion and division. I pray, God, that it would bring us practical encouragement and stir us to life. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Amen. Amen. So verses 1 to 3 set this picture of the Lord coming like a thief in a night. And he says there in verse 1, Look, regarding the time and the season, the precise day and year of when the day of the Lord is going to come, he says, you don't need me to write anything more about that. Paul's confident. Confident that they already know. They know what we can't know, which is that no one knows when Christ is going to return. Right? It's a mystery. And he says to the Thessalonians, you know that. Apparently, when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy were there in the city, they had already been taught about the uncertainty and the suddenness of Christ's return. In fact, the day of the Lord will be so sudden and so unexpected, Paul says it's like a thief coming in the night. Now, this is a strange analogy, right? We, we want to think positively about Jesus. How, why is he like a thief? Like a thief breaking into your house in the middle of the night, that's pretty unsettling. Right? Some of you are, are, are stirred with fear at the thought of somebody breaking into your house while you're sleeping. But before we start criticizing this analogy, Jesus himself is the one that described his return as coming like a thief in the night. He said that he would come suddenly, unexpectedly. And the reality is that much of the world who does not know God, love God, follow God, for much of the world, the coming of Christ will be unwelcomed. Like a thief. They do not want the authority of God. They do not want the justice and the kingly rule of God. And so when he returns, it will be unwelcomed. Just as unwelcomed, you might say, as somebody breaking into your house tonight while you sleep. That's how much of the world will feel. And they will be unprepared. Verse 3 says society is just moving along. People are living their lives and saying to one another, Oh, this is a nice time. We're in a good season. The economy is good. We're experiencing peace. Our country is not at war. I, I feel secure. And just at the moment where people feel that, Christ will return. And this is how much, how many of the time, 
how we feel. Right? We live our stable, safe American lives thinking everything's okay and we have our, our secure houses and our locks and our security systems and our bank accounts and our 401ks and our insurance policies. If anything should go wrong and we look around and we feel most of the time, oh look, there's peace and security. And, and I remember what, what happened in, in, in February and March of, of, of 2020 and I, you start hearing the news right, about what was going on in China and then, and then in Italy and I remember thinking... And you, you may think I'm foolish, but I remember seeing reports of, of the hospitalizations and the shutdowns. And, the, and I remember thinking, wow, I'm glad I'm in America because that's never going to happen here. I literally thought that. And then we watched as it happened to us, as hospitals got overwhelmed, as, as things shut down needlessly or unneedlessly. And, and, and much of our world came to a halt. And we realized that the peace and the security that we take for granted, that we assume as Americans that we would w- deserve and that we will have day after day after day, it all got thrown upside down. See, we think we live in peace and security, but this scripture says that the day of the Lord will bring sudden destruction upon the earth. By the way, this is why Pastor Matt and I are committed to expository preaching. That means we go through books of the Bible because it means we gotta, we got to talk about stuff that we wouldn't necessarily choose to teach. But the Word of God teaches us that the coming of the Lord will bring sudden destruction. In fact, verse 3 says that it's like that first painful contraction. Moms, you know what that's like. That first time that that pain hits you and labor begins and you say to yourself, there's no turning back now, right? And Paul says that's what it's like. That first labor pain will hit. And the world will come to its end. But the analogy of labor probably also references the idea that the day of the Lord is like a birthing process. And yes, it'll be painful. Yes, there will be judgment and destruction. But God, through that process, is giving birth to a new creation. The new earth where God will reign in glory and in peace. See, when Jesus returns, He will come as a reigning King, as a righteous judge, and every person must stand before Him. We all must stand before God. You know, and it's kind of a, of a of an idiom, it's kind of a stereotype to say, oh yeah, we're all going to meet our Maker someday, but that's a biblical truth. And in 2 Thessalonians, because apparently they had more questions about this stuff. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says that those who are still standing in prideful rebellion on the day that they meet their Maker, the Word of God says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. It's a terrifying day for those who don't know the love and the peace of God. A day of, of sudden destruction. And, and, and we can, can try not to think about that day, or we can assume we, we don't know when it's coming, so therefore we should just ignore it. Or we can feel like, why is it taking so long? God, I'm sick of the sin and the evil that's running rampant. I want the new creation. I want justice to reign. When, when will you come? It's been 2,000 years. And we may start to doubt, maybe he's not really coming. Maybe it's some kind of spiritual metaphor that scripture says about the return of Jesus. It's interesting that we're not the only ones to ask these questions. Peter, the apostle, when he writes his letter, his second letter of Peter in the third chapter, he says, not quite yet, we're not at that scripture yet. He, um, 
He says, you know what, there's going to come a time when when people are going to mock and scoff what Christians believe. And they're going to mock us because we believe Jesus is going to return. And people are going to say, where is this promise of Jesus coming? And Peter writes there in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, history keeps unfolding and he hasn't shown up. And people will mock that belief. But Peter says, people forget that, that God came once before in judgment. And Peter reminds us of the flood, the flood that we read about in Genesis when God's judgment covered the earth and destroyed the earth with water. And Peter says if he did it once, he can do it again. And the scriptures say that the second time when the Lord returns, there will be fire on the day of judgment. And many of us too wonder, when will God fulfill his promise? It's been 2,000 years Right? We read last week how, how the first century Christians anticipated Jesus' return during their generation. And every generation of Christians thereafter has anticipated, has hoped. Many of have believed this will be the end. And still he tarries. And Peter, thankfully, thank you God, he answers this question. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7. As he's discussing and wrestling through those that would mock us for our belief. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Peter says, yeah, I know it seems like it's taken too long, but the Lord is not slow. Amen. His timing is always perfect. And the delay, generation after generation, the delay that we have been experiencing between Jesus' first and second coming is the demonstration of God's patience. And so the call is that we would take advantage of the time that we have, that every day that he tarries, that we would take advantage, as the scripture says, says, make the best use of the time. And so if he does not come back today or tomorrow, we're called to pray, to pray for his plan and his purpose, to pray for the lost, to pray for our friends and family and neighbors that do not know him, that they would be open to hear and to receive before that day comes, before judgment day comes, and that we would not only pray, but we would warn people. Warn people that have been lulled into this false sense of peace and security. Everything's fine. I've got it all together. I'm stable. I'm set. Would we have the courage and the love to warn them and to say, but don't you know how little control that you have? And don't you know that one day you'll face your maker, whether it's in death or whether it's at the Lord's return? Can we warn people? And can we share the hope of Christ? Share the hope of the gospel? Invite people, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus for His mercy. No longer walk in guilt and shame and darkness in the fear of the unknown, the fear of death, the fear of the end of the world. Run to Christ and find hope and forgiveness. The delay is God's patience as we can pray and warn and and invite people to come to Christ for mercy. That's part of what it means to live as children of the day. To live as children of the light. Not afraid of the Lord's coming. We have nothing to fear in Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled. We've been adopted. And that gracious offer goes out to all. We get some further instruction and unpacking of what it means to live as children of the day in verse 4. And the, the call there is to stay awake. 
Paul writes there in verse 4, listen, brothers and sisters, we have hope. We have hope because we're not still living in darkness. Verse 5 says that you are children of the light, children of the day. We're, we're no longer of the night and of the darkness. Now, now, light and darkness are common themes in the Scriptures. It's a way to compare good and evil. Light and darkness, the deception of sin versus the openness of life. A way to compare life in this fallen world with the glory of God, light and darkness. Now, in our natural fallen state that we're born into, we are children of the night. We are children who live in darkness. But through faith in Christ, we have new life. We are born again as children of the day. See, the Scriptures say that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And that to walk with Him is to walk in the light. Jesus came, and what did He proclaim to the world? He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, listen, listen. You cannot have life without light. And in in the darkness, without heat, without light, everything eventually dies. See, light is life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and if you follow Me, you will walk in the light of life. In light, there's freedom. In light, there is life lived out in the open, no longer hiding in secrecy. And so, the Scripture says in verse 4, those that are children of the day, that when the Lord comes, it's not going to catch us off guard. Verse 4 says, it's not going to surprise you or overtake you like a thief in the night. Right? Because we we live in, in the light. And even though we don't know what that day is coming, when the Lord comes, we'll be in the light. You know, like you can sneak up on somebody in the dark and surprise them and scare them. It's much harder to sneak up on somebody in broad daylight, right? We are children of the light. The day of the Lord's coming is not going to overtake us. And yes, we don't know when He will return. But the call is to wait, to watch, to anticipate. Man, I I shared with you last week how, how much I fall short to anticipate the Lord's coming. To be excited about it, to be ready for it. And His coming may be sudden, but for us, for His children, it's not unwelcome like a thief. He doesn't come to us in judgment. But for His children, the day of the Lord is is His coming in redemption. A day when all things will be made new. A day when we will fully, finally be rid of our sin. Fully and finally have intimacy with our Creator. and, And know abundant life in fullness. And so stay awake. Be alert. Be ready for that day. The Lord Jesus Himself says this in Matthew 24. Stay awake. He tells His followers, Stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Friends, part of what it means to be children of the day is that we are ready, that we stay alert, that we are awake. There's no napping in the kingdom. Maybe in heaven, but now we got to stay alert. We got to stay awake. See, there there are two types of creatures. You can see this in the in the in the, in the mammal world. Two types of animals, right? Nocturnal and diurnal. I think I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay. Now, a nocturnal animal, right, lives at the night. They hunt. They 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 are awake in the nighttime. A diurnal animal lives during the day. 
right? Humans are diurnal. There's a fox in our neighborhood, Country Manor Lane, and, and, and by all best guesses, and there might be more than one, he probably has a den somewhere down on the trail. But all of our neighbors have, have seen this bold fox. And he comes up in our neighborhood, walks down the middle of our street, sits in our driveways in broad daylight. Like I pull my car into the garage and the fox is sitting in the yard. I get out of my car and he just sort of looks at me. I've seen him in our bushes, under our deck, broad daylight. Now, that's not right. There's something abnormal about that. Now, I've Googled it, and apparently in suburban areas, foxes are known to be to be out in the day, and they're, they're adapting, and they're learning that they can be safe and that nobody's going to, you know, uh, that their prey are, are not around, I guess, in suburban areas. And so they are becoming diurnal. But that's not right. That fox should be scared and run away from me in the middle of the day, right? He shouldn't even be out in the middle of the day. How about you, friends? Are you... Nocturnal or diurnal? We often talk about people as either being night owls or morning larks. For years and years, I was a night owl. I'd be up working 11, 12 o'clock at night. I have found in my middle age that I can no longer do that. I'm not yet a morning lark. I'm what I like to call, I'm going to try to coin a new, new term. I'm, I'm the middle of the day falcon. Okay? Like I'm at my best in the middle of the day. I'm still not a morning person, but I'm not quite... Still not a, 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 a night owl anymore. But do you get this? There are two ways to live, friends. We can live in the night, asleep, or we can live awake in the light of day. And the call here is that we are to be children of the day. And so if you are following Jesus, if your hope is in Him, if you have been born again and the Holy Spirit lives you, and yes, there's doubt and sin and struggle, but if you are a child of God, you're a child of the day. And so just as abnormal and unnatural as it is for that fox to be out in the middle of the day, it's just as abnormal and just as unnatural for the children of God to be living in the dark. Because we're children of the day. And so, verse 6 says, let's not live our lives asleep as other people do. Let's not live at night in the darkness now, now, quick side note, earlier in the letter, sleep, when Paul referred to those who were asleep and those that were awake, he was using that symbolically to talk about those who were either physically dead or physically alive. He's kind of changing his analogy now, and now he's saying he's using asleep and awake to refer to either spiritual death or spiritual life. See, those that are asleep are essentially spiritually dead. They don't know the life of God. And so they're living their lives asleep. They're awake physically, but asleep spiritually. They're zoned out. People that are oblivious to God, oblivious to spiritual things, disengaged from spiritual realities. Some of you remember what that was like before you came to Christ. And you were not aware of the Lord's presence. You were not awake and alert to what He was doing now. And you certainly weren't awake and alert to His coming on the day of the Lord in the future. And so verse 7 says that those who live apart from new life in Christ spend their life in the dark. How miserable. Can you imagine living in a cave with no light, trying to feel your way around in the dark? And that's how unbelievers, those that don't know Christ, are living in the darkness of night. And in the darkness is the, is the realm of sin and evil, but it's also the realm of pain, the realm of hiding, the realm of, of shame of ignorance, the realm where evil flourishes, the realm where, where people are separated from God, separated from His peace and from His joy. And there's really two things that you can do at night. 
You can go to sleep. Or you can stay up and get drunk and get into trouble. The scripture says here. Right? And like I said earlier, there's, no, there's nothing good that happens after dark. Now, I, I'm exaggerating, okay? So don't write me an email later about all the good things you do after dark. But there are people that, that they either just live their lives asleep. Right? There's two ways you can do live in the dark. You can live asleep. And many, many people who don't know God sort of live dulled. They live their lives just zoned out and dulled to spiritual realities, unaware of the Lord's presence. Or, verse 5 says, the second thing you can do in the dark is to get drunk. Some of us remember what that's like. Verse 7, you can sleep at night or you can get drunk at night. Now, of course, there's more to do at night. I realize that, but but he's setting up this analogy. See, at night you don't truly experience life. You're either asleep and you can't know all the good things of life, or you're, or you're drunk and, and, and dulled to the realities of the world. And that's how, how non-believers live as it relates to the things of God. But we are meant to live awake in the light of day. Live as children of the day. And so verse 6 says, stay awake. Let's see if there's anybody nodding off here this morning. Stay awake. Be alert. Be sober. The idea there is be clear-headed. Be sober-minded. Now, now listen. I'm going to mess with some of us, but it, it is culturally acceptable for us to wake up in the morning and use a chemical stimulant, right, called coffee, called caffeine. And it's a common way for us to stimulate ourselves and wake up. But it's also common and accepted in our culture to use a relaxant in the evenings, to have a glass of wine, to, to have, to have a, a little bourbon. It's a relaxant people often use to unwind before bed. Now listen, at Living Hope, official elder alcohol policy, use alcohol responsibly, enjoy it to the glory of God. Okay, we're not telling you you can't use alcohol. But the problem is the abuse of alcohol, the misuse of alcohol. Using alcohol without self-control. That's, that's the problem. But what this passage is calling us to is a life of sobriety. Verse 8 says, let us be sober. That's, that's physical sobriety, right? That you wouldn't uh, abuse a stimulant or a relaxant. You wouldn't abuse caffeine or alcohol. You'd be both physically and perhaps more importantly, or as important, spiritually sober, spiritually alert. That means that we wouldn't dull our senses. And some of us need to wrestle with the Lord and how we've been using alcohol to dull our senses. And it makes life easier. It helps us to feel better. Deals with our anxiety. Helps us to fall asleep. But there's, there's a dozen other things that we can use to dull our senses. Whether it's food or entertainment. Or, or maybe it's actual sleep. Or sinful practices. To be sober Christian means don't check out. Don't check out to the needs, to the people, to the work of the Lord around you. Be alert, be clear-headed, be self-controlled, be attentive. Be attentive to the presence of the Lord now and be attentive to His coming on that day. Verse 8 says, since we are children of the light, since we belong to the day, let's live our lives awake and alert and sober-minded. We belong to the day. That's where we're meant to live We're meant to live in the day and thank God for those of you that work night shift and keep the world running while we're asleep. But that's truly not how you're meant to live. 
Christian, you're meant to live in the light of God, in the love of God, in the abundant life that Christ won for us. Verse 8 says, after all, we are in Christ. We've put on Christ. We have put on this armor that we could be suited up to live in the daytime. The breastplate, that shield over your chest of faith and love, the helmet of hope, the helmet of, of salvation. We're to live with God as children of the day, soldiers of light, alert and ready. Alert and ready for the attacks of the enemy, for the lure of darkness, for the coming of Christ. And I was thinking about a a godly couple in our community that I believe live this out, live as awake, live alert. Martin and Barb Covington. Nothing magnanimous about them from the outside, but I had lunch with Martin this week and I was reminded of how much they love the Lord and how faithful they are. And they're in the midst of a significant trial. Those of you that don't know, Barb's uh, mother lives in a, in, a, in a little farmhouse five miles outside of a, of, of a podunk town in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. And she's been down there for over a month taking care of her elderly mom who, fall, who fell, who's in, in failing health. And it's hard for her to be down there away from her husband, away from the comforts of home, caring for her elderly mom, struggling with physical ailments, struggling with dementia. Some days her mom doesn't even know who she is, and she's caring for her physical needs, the emotional weight of it. But they're seeking the Lord. They're in prayer together. They're seeking wisdom for the situation. And I was talking to Martin this week. We had lunch, and he said, Tim, for the first time in 40 years, I'm living by myself. Trying to figure out how to live. His kids are all grown and out of the house. His wife has been away from home. He's down visiting his wife this weekend. I can talk about him because I knew he wouldn't be here. Now, now, husbands, think for a minute. Think for a minute how you would choose to live if you knew your wife was going to be away for the next month and your kids were grown and out of the house. Think about the, the bad habits you might get into, the laziness, the junk food you might eat. You know what? You know what Martin's doing. He's getting up in the morning. He's going to work his job as, a, as an engineer, inspector. And you know what he does when he comes home? He says, "Tim, I've been exercising. I've been losing weight." How many of you would lose weight if your wife was away for a month? He said, "I've been losing weight because I come home and I exercise and I read the Word of God." And I think it was the Book of Acts and the Gospel of John. He said, "My two favorite books. I'm reading them again. I'm reading commentaries." Spending time in the Word, he spends time every evening talking to his wife, and his wife steps outside on the porch, and he talks to her, and he listens to her, and he encourages her. This is a hard season. It would be so easy for Martin and Barb to just slip into the darkness, to just give into despair, to just be overwhelmed, or to just cut off their faith in the Lord, their love for their family and their community. But Martin and Barb are pressing in because they're, they're alert, and they're awake, and they're looking for God. And yes, they're struggling in a hard time, but the darkness has not overcome them because they are children of the day. You know, Martin said to me that the highlight of, of, of his month is when he gets to come here to Living Hope Church and be our door monitor. I feel so bad. Thank you for those of you that are the door monitor. But I feel bad for you guys because you missed the whole service. Martin Covington loves it. He loves to serve us. He said it's the best part of his day, of his week, to open the door and to greet and, and to stay out and to watch. He's alert, he's attentive, wants to serve the Lord. Martin and Barb are children of the day. Listen to Romans 13. Does this describe who we are in Christ? By God's grace, let us live this out. Spirit of God, help us. Paul writes in Romans 13, Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. 
Wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Today is closer to the return of Christ than yesterday was. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Friends, the desires of the flesh thrive in the darkness. Partying and drunkenness and sexual pleasure and, and quarreling and, and jealousy and greed and all of the things that we want to give into. But the night is over. We've been called to the light. Christ now fills us, calls us to the day. So let's discard the deeds of the darkness. Let's walk alert and awake. Ready. Ready for the Lord's coming. Eager for the Lord's coming. What should we expect? We don't have to fear judgment on the day of the Lord's return. What should we expect? What does it say in verse 9? Salvation and eternal life. Let's wrap up with this. Verse 9 says that God has not predestined us to receive wrath, but by His grace we've been chosen to receive salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus. The coming of the Lord means salvation. And so we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear the Lord's coming or, or fear judgment. In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote that we are waiting for the Son of God to return from heaven who has delivered us from the wrath to come. Yes, judgment and wrath are coming. But we have received freedom and forgiveness. His coming means now for us full redemption, full renewal. Not only renewal for us, not spirit, not only spiritually, but physically. A resurrected body, but not only renewal for us, but for the whole world. A renewed creation. And so verse 10 says, listen, Jesus died for us. It says in verse 10, so that whether we're awake or whether we're asleep. In other words, whether we're, we're, we're dead when the Lord returns or whether we're alive when the Lord returns, we would be raised up to life with Him. He died for us so that we could be raised with Him. So friends, hear this. If He died for you, if He rose that you could have eternal life, then let's live with Him now. Let's not wait for His coming to fully live for the Lord. But let's live for Him now. Let's receive the life that He has for Him now. I love this charge in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He, Jesus, died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The call now is to no longer live for yourself. To no longer live in the dark, but to live in the light. To live for Christ who died for you, who rose again for you, who is coming again for you. And so verse 11 says, Christian, in light of these things, let's encourage one another. Let's build each other up. Just as you are doing, do so more and more. Encourage one another. See, this teaching, again, is not to be a source of confusion or contention or frustration or division. The teaching of the Lord's coming is to encourage us. It should give us perspective. It should give us hope that God's plan for the purpose will unfold. His promise and judgment came once in the flood and it is coming again at the Lord's return. And He will return, yes, like a thief in the night. It will be sudden and it will be unexpected, but He's coming as a king, a good king, a righteous king, a just king. A king who will judge, 
who will come both to bring justice to the earth and bring redemption to the earth. And so the call, friend, is to live in the light. Live as children of the day. Cry out to God this moment for the grace and for the strength to live in the light. To walk in obedience. Because I don't know about you, but there are times where the darkness feels safer. And it feels better to be hidden. And to do those, those things that may bring temporary pleasure or relief that may dull you. But there's, there's nothing in the darkness that will bring you life. The, the life is in the light of Christ. Walk in obedience. Walk in faithfulness. Stay alert. I believe a big call of that call to stay alert is to be in prayer. To be faithful in prayer. To enjoy the good gifts of light that Christ has given us. To be sober. And remember this, friends, that the delay of the Lord's coming is His patience so that we could spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, that all of God's saints would come to Christ. Amen? Listen, the worship team's going to come and we're going to close again in song. And as we do that, I want to invite those of you that are prepared to pray to come up and to stand on the sides because as we sing this song, some of you aren't going to be able to sing because your heart is too heavy. Some of you aren't going to be able to sing this song because you know you're living in darkness. And so would you come up and would you ask a a friend or maybe a stranger, would you ask them to pray for you? Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped from darkness into light. And we would love to just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you that you could, for the first time today, trust Jesus. For the first time, come into the light. Maybe for you, you're not going to be able to sing, not because you're in the darkness, but because you know you've just been living asleep. And you say, if I'm honest with myself, I've been, I've been numb, I've been checked out, I've been not been spiritually alert. If you feel asleep this morning, would you come up and let one of these brothers or sisters pray for you? And, and be gentle when you wake them up. Don't shake them too hard. But, but we, we need to wake up. And so whether you want to step from darkness into light, whether you want to wake yourself up and to live alert to the things of God, come up and receive prayer. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, as we stand, we stand asking you for grace, asking you for help to wake us up, to keep us alert, to keep our eyes on you. And for those here that may still be living in in the darkness, in the hopelessness, apart from you, would you shine the light of Christ into their hearts? Hear this song of worship. Stir us to pray for one another. Give us courage to come up and receive prayer this morning. Shine your light. Wake us up to the hope of Christ and to the light of Christ. Be glorified. Hear us, Lord.